Our world is marked by the unknown, despair, failure, and brokenness. But that isn't the end of our story. Into this brokenness, God has woven a thread of hope. This thread winds through the scriptures, through history, and through our very lives, leading us to Jesus. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of the unknown. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of despair. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of failure. In Jesus, we have hope in the face of brokenness. In Him, we have a reason to hope, a living hope, a hope that does not disappoint. In Jesus, we have hope. Well, maybe you recognize that voice. That is our very own Jason doing the recording there. Yeah. We... Morgan Freeman was already double booked, so we went for the next best thing, and that was Jason Diecast. So, um, as mentioned in the video, we are continuing our series looking at this thread of hope, which we're taking from Matthew chapter 1, looking at the lineage that leads up to Jesus, and pulling specific people in there that we see this thread of hope through their lives. And we've chosen specific people that you may not naturally attach hope to their story, and yet we see hope throughout that story. And so, We've looked at people like Abraham and the hope in the face of the unknown, and we've looked at Rahab and hope in the face of despair. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at Bathsheba, and we saw hope in the face of failure. And this morning, we're going to look at Zerubbabel, who from here on forward, I will call Big Z, so I don't mumble over his name. And we're going to be seeing hope in the face of brokenness. Uh, if you want to jump ahead, we're going to be looking at Ezra. We're going to kind of do a quick flyby of Ezra and look at a couple key points that demonstrate this hope in the face of brokenness. Now, brokenness, much like the failure we looked at last week, is something that this side of heaven cannot be avoided. Whether it's your arm on the trampoline or a glass ornament on your tree at home, whether it's your iPhone screen for the third time or your tooth in a rowdy game of basketball, brokenness is just a way of life, and it's constantly around us. But although it is something common to all of us in some degree, unfortunately, I think that it is all too common something that is misunderstood, that we have a, a misunderstanding of, of brokenness in our culture. You see, we live in a culture that believes if it's broken, you just toss it in the trash, right? Buy a new one. In fact, on Amazon, you can have a new one in two days. Maybe that's a little delayed right now, but you can just get a new one in the mail. Why waste the time, the effort, the energy to repair the old one? It's broken, throw it away, get something new. Start from scratch. Damaged goods in our culture are rejected. And unfortunately, people fall into that category far too often as well. Why work on the marriage, the friendship, the relationship? Your heart's broken, trust is broken. It's easier to start from scratch, to cut it off, to move beyond it, to forget about it. And what has this done? It's left us with a world full of broken people, broken hearts, broken trust, broken relationships, and a broken hope. But this morning, I believe what we'll see in our text, what is clearly displayed throughout all of Scripture, is that there is a hope, even in the face of brokenness, that God offers for us today. And it's a hope that we need to realize, that we need to recognize. Because the real question this morning is not, have you ever experienced brokenness? But the question is, as a believer, how does God redeem this brokenness and how are we to respond to this God who can redeem our brokenness? That's what we're going to look at today, those two things. How does God redeem brokenness, and how are we to respond to this brokenness? Well, I have some images I want to show you this morning, because as I was studying broken things that get put back together, uh, I, I came upon an art form primarily used in Japan, that I felt like gave a better perspective and understanding that I could merely in my words. So they're going to pull up a slide for you to show you a little bit of kintsugi, okay? Kintsugi 
is an art form that uses pottery that's been broken and it puts it back together. But this process, what they do is they actually mix with the lacquer some gold powder or sometimes they'll use silver or platinum and they put the item back together with this clear, obvious, right, gold pattern within where it was broken before. Now, the origin of this is, is said to have come from the 15th century when there was this uh, Japanese military dictator who had this, this tea bowl that he loved. And when it broke, he sent it to China to get repaired. And when it came back, they'd repaired it, but with these big, ugly metal staples all throughout the thing to hold it together. And he hated it, and he thought it was ugly, and so he told his, his servants to figure out a way to make it look better. And they came back with this, right? They mixed it with some gold, something that seemed more fitting for this, this ruler to have. And he loved it. And people around him began to love it so much that they all began to purposely break things and put them back together in this way because they loved the appearance of it, the way that the gold showed forth. But as a philosophy, it, it treats breakage as a part of the history of the item. It's something to be cherished and valued rather than something to be disguised or hidden. You see, we look at the broken parts and we say, how are we going to cover that up? That's going to leave a mark, right? That's going to show. How do we disguise it as best we can? And yet, what they try and do is actually, let's obviously show it for what it is, but let's take a spin on it and let's actually make it something people want to look at, something people are proud to look at, and as a part of the history and the life of this piece of pottery. You say, well, what the heck does this have to do with me this morning? Isaiah chapter 64, 8, he declares, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and we are all the work of your hand. As mentioned this morning, this is not natural in our culture, in our society, to want to embrace brokenness, to see brokenness as a beautiful part of your story. It's something we often try and hide and disguise, right? We want to hide our imperfections. We want to cover up the broken parts. We only want to show our best side, our strongest side, the side we're most proud of. But the broken parts, we, we keep those hidden. We shy away from those. We don't want anybody to know about them. Well, what we see from this is that there's actually a beauty that can come from brokenness. There's a story that can be told within that, and there's some good that actually can come through it. And so we're going to begin by looking at these five benefits of brokenness. So you could say five ways that God can redeem and restore and bring good in the midst of your brokenness. And then we'll look at our response. The first one, very practically speaking, is that, that God can use brokenness, redeem it, and it can be for your benefit in the way that it slows us down. Can you agree that especially in the season we're in, we are running like crazy, that we are so busy, constantly moving, we have no time for anything else because there's so much going on. We have an entire room in my house right now dedicated to just trying to wrap everything and keep it away from the kids, right? And it is busy, there's always more to be done. Your schedules are packed. And in this busyness, we can be prone to be so busy, so caught up with our own plans, with our, building our own kingdom, that we're too busy to hear from the Lord, that we're too busy to listen to the Lord, or even to seek Him for direction and instruction throughout our day. Well, sometimes the best way God can slow you down is to break you down. And if you've ever been in a car that's broken down, you know it slows down pretty quickly. In fact, have you ever tried to do something that you could do very quickly before, but now you have an injury that hinders you from doing it quickly? Man, and it takes like 10 times as long to do it now because of this cast on your arm or this sling you're in or because you're hobbling over to do it. All of a sudden, it takes so much longer, it slows you down and you begin to appreciate the ability you had beforehand to do it. God will allow a breaking down in our lives to slow us down. In fact, we're going to see the children of Israel who have been in exile for 50 plus years right now, God has used this breaking down of their city and of their, their ways and their system to slow them down, to get their attention, to teach them a lesson that they needed to learn. And so at times, God will allow us to be broken down so he can slow us down. 
Well, another benefit to brokenness, another way God can redeem it, is that it adjusts our priorities. And this is also going to be true of the children of Israel. A.W. Tozer once said that it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt that man deeply. That this brokenness is actually an opportunity for God to show up in an incredible way and to bless you greatly, but it first starts with a breaking down that happens. Far too often, we look at brokenness as what? It's the end of something. And yet, in many ways, we'll see that brokenness is actually the beginning of something God wants to do. We've been trying to do little projects uh, at, our, at our new house, little updates here and there. And what we found is that often the very first stage is breaking something down. It's taking something off the wall. It's tearing off and stripping the old paint and the old hardware away. That's not the end of the process. That's the beginning of it. But in our lives, that can feel very painful. That can feel like we've been now disqualified from ministry. I can't possibly be used by God. I'm broken right now. I'm in this season of brokenness. And I would argue maybe that's the beginning of God getting to use you in an effective way for his kingdom. And this brokenness, it brings us to a place of dependency and adjusting our priorities to realize what's most important. If you've ever been through a, a terrifying situation in life, some of the things you took for granted before, you begin to appreciate in a whole new way. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 through 17 this is our, our context that brings us into looking at the children of Israel in exile. And it says that the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young men or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. So this was a people that were too busy to hear from the Lord, a people who had their own priorities that didn't involve hearing a message from God or allowing his prophets to call them to correction. No, 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 we have other things we're doing. We don't care about that. We're going to mock that. That's not a priority to us. And God is going to use this season of brokenness, this 50 plus years in exile, for them to get a reprioritization in their lives, for them to understand we need to look to God. We need to listen to his commands. We need to heed his words, and we need to honor him with our lives. But this took a breaking for them to get. Well, the third reason or third way that brokenness is actually to our benefit and that God can use it is that it reveals our weakness and dependency. Now, hear me on this. I didn't say that it creates weakness and dependency. We already are weak and dependent whether we realize it or not. But what this brokenness does is it reveals it. It brings it to the forefront. It forces us to acknowledge it and admit it and to embrace it. Like that glass bowl that we looked at, or that teapot that breaks so easily. It only takes one drop, one bump, one little crack to cause the whole thing to fall into pieces. We are not so strong or so solid that one mistake cannot also bring our lives to pieces as well. I think of examples like Samson, a man of this incredible anointing and strength from God. And yet because of his carelessness, because of his foolish decision with an immoral woman, his strength is stripped in a night and he's a broken man that becomes a mockery that the enemies of God would look at and, and joke about and use for their entertainment. We are all fragile. We're only one mistake away from falling into pieces. And this reality, it should humble us. It should draw us to our knees before the Lord. It should bring us to a place of dependency where we're continually looking to God for strength, for support, for protection. You know, Paul got brought to this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Remember, he has this interaction with the Lord in verses 7 through 10 where he's discussing this thorn in his flesh and he's continually praying that God would remove it. And three times he prays this and God does not remove it. But he recognizes why it's there. In verse 7 he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And again he says at the end of the verse, to keep me from becoming conceited conceited. He recognized that this thorn in the flesh was being used for his benefit, that it was keeping him humble, that it was keeping him from getting too proud in and of himself because of the incredible things God was using him to do and allowing him to see. And so he said, God allowed it to remain, to keep me humble, to keep me dependent. And what did the Lord tell him in verse 9? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so what was Paul's response? Then I'm going to all the more boldly boast in my weakness. For when I am weak, then he is strong. And he embraces that weakness. He embraces that dependency upon the Lord that is so important. And we are at our strongest when we recognize how weak we are. And for Paul, that was no exception. Christopher Ash the author of the book Zeal Without Burnout, which I would encourage you, especially in the season we're in, is a book worth reading. Here's what he says. When you and I surrendered to Jesus as Lord, we did not offer him the services of a divine or even semi-divine creature to strengthen his kingdom. We offer him the fragile, temporary, mortal, frail life that he has first given to us. That is all we have to offer. Puts things in perspective a bit, doesn't it? That fragile, frail, temporary life that he's given us in the first place, that's all we can really offer him. And it should humble us, and it should bring us to a place of dependency upon him and looking to him for our strength. Paul wasn't hiding his weakness. He came to the conclusion, if this is how you show yourself strong, then I'm going to boast in that. I'm going to be proud of that because that's where you show up the most. The fourth reason or way that we see brokenness as a benefit is that it fosters deeper fellowship. Listen to how 2 Corinthians, Paul writing once again, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 puts it. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Have you ever talked with somebody who's gone through a similar season of brokenness or a similar physical um, impairment that maybe you've experienced? Maybe it was an injury. Maybe it's an ongoing illness that you suffer from. Man, there's a, there's a fellowship and a deeper relationship you can have with people who understand what you've gone through. People who know the, the fear that came with that. People understand the complications that go along with that. And the way you had to reframe your day and restructure your life around this thing. And also you're able to comfort people in that season when you've gone through it in a way others can't because you can relate, because you understand, because you can be on the other side of it saying, let me tell you it's not forever. And on this side of it, I'll tell you it's worth it. Keep pushing, keep going, don't give up. And it fosters this deeper fellowship we're able to have with one another. This is why we're so encouraged by Jesus, our high priest, who can sympathize with our weaknesses, right? Because he was tempted like we are tempted, yet without sin. He understands what we're going through, and yet he can offer a way of escape. He understands it. Well, the fifth and final way that we see God redeeming this brokenness in our lives is that it increases our longing for heaven. Once again, Paul, a man who had his fair share of breaking, in prison would write this letter to the Philippian church. And he would say in verse 21 that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And it's, it's a pretty um, humorous even section of scripture when you read about this tension that Paul's going through as he's writing. Like, I don't really know what's better. To die would be great. I'd get to be with God. But to live is better for you guys, so I'll continue to help you. But I can't really decide what's better. They're both pretty good here, but I think he's going to allow me to live, and then I'm going to go and help you guys. But to die would be gain, and it would be awesome to be with the Lord. And there's, 
There's this desire and longing for heaven. But Paul's not scared. He's not nervous. He's not fearful. He's not ashamed. He's, he's saying, hey, to die is gain. To leave this broken body behind and to leave these chains and this cell behind and to be in the presence of God, that is great gain. And there's a longing there for heaven that has been produced through that brokenness. Remember David we looked at last week. Do you remember his one thing that he desired more than anything was that he would, he would be in the presence of the Lord and behold his beauty? It's a man who understood brokenness. That's a man who even when he hears the news that his son has died because of the consequences of his sin, what does he do? He recognizes, my son's not coming back to me, but I will go to him, fixing his eyes on heaven. And then he goes and he worships the Lord. This brokenness in his life, it brought him to a place of longing for heaven, to be with his boy, to be with his God, to be in the presence of his Savior. God redeems our brokenness. He uses it for our good. It's not wasted. And neither are you. And I want you to hear this this morning before we look to our response to this. You need to realize this morning that even if you are in a season right now of brokenness, that is not wasted time or space, and God still wants to use you in the midst of it. If we want to have a hope in the face of brokenness, it comes through understanding that this is not a wasted season, and the hope is not on the other side of this brokenness. There is a hope even in the midst of this brokenness that you can have, that God is using it for your good, that he's redeeming it for good purposes for his will according to his purposes. We don't want to live in a life that says, I'm broken right now, but one day when I'm better, I hope God gets to use me again. I hope I get to see God use me for his kingdom one day. Once I get through this, as we already said, brokenness surrounds us. If you're not broken, you will be soon. Merry Christmas. But the reality is we don't want to just look at brokenness and say, well, that's wasted time. But once I get through it, no, no, no. In the midst of that, God can and will use you. Let's have hope in the midst of that. Let's stop looking for the fastest way out of it. And let's start looking for how God wants to use it. It's then and only then that we get this clarity in how we are to respond moving forward. To get behind his plan in the midst of our brokenness. And this brings us to Ezra, where we will look at this morning God's call in the life of Zerubbabel, Big Z, to bring these people back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem, back to this city of the Lord to rebuild what's been broken. But this comes on the heels of 50 plus years in exile. The children of Israel are in a land that's not their own. And their homeland is broken to the point that it describes it as being destroyed and burned and broken. The walls are down, the buildings are down, the temple is destroyed, it's rubble. And it's in this brokenness that we find ourselves this morning. You see, because Big Z is going to go back with his people to rebuild the temple. But we know, looking at the New Testament, that in 1 Corinthians 3.16, that we are the temple. It says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so as we look at this rebuilding process that God is going to use Big Z and these people to go back and do, realize that there is also a spiritual application for us as the temple of God in these broken and sinful bodies that we find ourselves in today. Well, the first way to respond in light of this God who redeems brokenness is to act upon God's stirring. We see this in the beginning of Ezra. Chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And we jump down to verse 5, and we read this, Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up, 
to go rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. One of those men, the governor of this new region, Zerubbabel, Big Z, would be sent. Now, Zerubbabel is the grandson of the last king of Judah, Jehoiakim. And so he's coming in to this situation, into our story, as a man who comes from royalty, right? A grandfather who was the last king of Judah. And in fact, we can read from 2 Kings that it seems his grandfather also received favor from the king while they were in exile. And so it's, it's not far off to assume that Zerubbabel grew up with a better education, with a better social status, with a better opportunity than most of those around him because of the favor his grandfather received, because of the family he was a part of. We have no written proof that Zerubbabel has ever actually been to Jerusalem. As best we can understand, he's been born and raised in Babylon. In fact, his name means the seed of Babylon or the offspring of Babylon. He's been given a Babylonian name. He's been born and raised in this place, and yet God was going to use him to take these people back to rebuild the temple. God is calling him to act upon what God is stirring within him. In the midst of your brokenness, God will stir things up. God will bring you to that place of desperation. God will humble you and speak to you. The question is, are you going to act upon that? Because this doesn't have to be a wasted season. But when we choose to ignore the stirring of the Lord, when we choose to continue to hide our brokenness and continue to live in that brokenness without allowing God to redeem it, we're wasting it. But for Big Z here, And for the people that will go with him, they allowed that stirring within them from God to draw them to go back and to our second point, to return to the place of brokenness. You see, that's that's the next way that we respond to this work that God is doing in our brokenness is that we return to the place of brokenness. We embrace it. We acknowledge it. We don't shy from it. We don't try and deny it. It's there. And we return to it. And these people are literally returning to this city that's been destroyed to rebuild a temple that is just rubble. And for for Big Z here, he's going back to a place that is broken and destroyed. He's only ever heard about. He's never even gone here before. And he hears of this incredible land, this beautiful place where God's presence dwells in this temple. And this is where we came from. We've been in exile. And as he comes to this place, he's going to see a desert wasteland a bunch of rubble, and the people there are not very welcoming either. But he has to return to this place of brokenness and right what was wrong. One author and revivalist of the 20th century, Vance Havner, he writes this, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, Broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter, weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever. God uses this brokenness all around us and in our lives as well. And he's going to use this season of brokenness and exile to get these people once again to respond to his stirring to look to him for their strength and to go back and go through this process of doing the hard and heavy lifting to rebuild what's been broken, to right the wrongs that have been done. Interesting to note that Zerubbabel is is walking into a brokenness that wasn't his doing, right? He's heard about this, but This brokenness, this destruction that came about was because of the sins of his fathers, his grandfathers, and yet he's being used to go back and be a part of the rebuilding and be a part of restoring and and bringing back what's been lost. And maybe you're in the midst of a situation. You're caught up in the brokenness of people around you. That's not even your doing. And you're saying, I, I want nothing to do with this. This isn't my fault. This isn't my problem. I'm just, I'm out of it, guys. You deal with that. You fix that. And I'll come back when it's all put back together. But maybe God is calling you like Big Z here to go and embrace the mess of other people's mistakes 
and to step into that and be used by God as a vessel to bring some rebuilding, to bring some healing once again. Because he's going to come back and rebuild a temple that was destroyed because of the sin of another person. But God is using him and he is responding. Now it's interesting as well to note that they had to go back to the same place and rebuild the same temple because God is calling him to make straight on the path where they had gone off. Like a broken bone, if you don't set it correctly, when it heals, it's going to cause pain after that. It's not going to function correctly because you didn't set it correctly. But if you go back and you go through the pain of resetting it, let me tell you, there's some pain there. It'll heal stronger than it was before. In fact, that place where it once broke, man, it's stronger than it was before. It's not going to break in that place again. For these people, they don't get to just sweep under the rug all of their mistakes of the past and say, let's just start fresh in Babylon. No, God is calling them to go right back to that place of the mistake and rebuild from the ground up there what he is doing. And they do the wisest thing they possibly can, partly because it's exactly what God told them to do, but also because I think it brings a truth for us this morning, and that is the third way we respond is we invite God's presence. You invite the Lord's presence. Do you realize what they're called to go back and build? Big Z is bringing his people to rebuild the temple. That's where God's presence would be. The first and foremost plan is let's rebuild the place where God will be in our presence. Let's not do this without the Lord. Let's not try and fix this in our own strength. Let's not forget why we've been in exile for 50 years. It's because we ignored God. Man, first and foremost, let's build this temple. Let's invite the presence of God into this mess. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And then in verse 8, now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. And they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. I love that what we see them doing is they're rebuilding the temple, but you see how it speaks there that they are coming from captivity into this brokenness to rebuild it. You see, we, I think we often view brokenness like it's our captivity, like we need to run from it because when we're broken, we're held captive to that pain and we're not useful in that season. And yet the captivity was running away from the brokenness. The freedom came as they went back to the brokenness. They invited God's presence there and they allowed him to restore what had been destroyed. A people who were once too busy for God are now making him their first and foremost priority. A people who before wouldn't listen to the messengers and mocked the word of God, first and foremost, they enter this city that is a desert wasteland, and they say, all right, let's get going on this temple. Let's build an altar and sacrifice to the Lord, and let's get going on building the home for God to dwell in. See, that's what brokenness does. It creates space for God to show up. They've been slowed down. They've been brought low. They've recognized their dependency on God. And as they come back to a city, there's nothing going on. There's no buildings around. There's no walls of protection. And all of a sudden, this place of brokenness, man, there's room for God to show up. Like that pottery I showed you earlier. In the cracks and the pieces that are now missing, there is room and space for this beauty to show up. And for it to create something better than it was originally. And in this season of brokenness, there's space for God in the midst of all of that. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't run from it. He's near in that place. And as they go back to this city of brokenness, God is in their presence. I don't know what your brokenness is this morning. I don't know if it's a season you've been going through, if it was a mistake that continues to haunt you, 
it's a broken relationship or an actual physical ailment. But God is near in that place of brokenness. He's not waiting, you, waiting for you to get to the other side. He's not expecting you to figure it out on your own. He's there and he's near in your brokenness. And he desires to be there with you, for you to acknowledge his presence and to look to him for wisdom, for strength, for help to move forward in it. Well, the fourth way we respond this morning to brokenness is that we see that they worship in the brokenness. Not before and after, but in the brokenness. In chapter 3, we read verses 10 and 11, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Only the foundation has been laid at this point. They are still surrounded by ash and rubble and broken down walls and destruction everywhere they look. But the foundation has been laid and they praise the Lord. Why? Because progress is being made. Because it's beginning to be built again. Now further on in this section, what we see, there's mixed emotions with people as this new foundation is laid. Those who were there for the temple before are comparing it and saying, ah, oh, this is nothing compared to what there was before. But a word would come which would encourage them to not despise small beginnings because God is doing something here and there is a progress that is happening and there is a rebuilding that will take place. And this temple may not be as glorious as Solomon's temple was, but this temple will last longer than Herod and Solomon's temples combined. So we don't despise small beginnings. And isn't it true with any work that God does in our lives in the midst of our brokenness, there are still a, a myriad of emotions that you experience in that season. There are still a whole laundry list of things that you know need to get fixed, need to get worked on in your life, areas of weakness, areas of brokenness, places that you know, I really need to grow here and here and here and here and here, and, and you can continue to lay down that list. But I love what they do. The foundation is laid. Progress is being made. And so they worship and praise God. And you may not be where you ought to be this morning. Maybe that list is a little longer for you than some others. And you say, well, yeah, I know that uh, he's working, but I, I'm not where I ought to be. In fact, I'm not where I want to be. But we can praise God this morning because we're not where we used to be. Amen? We may not be finished, we're not perfect, but praise God that there is a work that he is doing in our lives and we can praise him this morning because of that. It may just be the foundation. There's a lot of work to be done, but praise God that the foundation has been laid and that where there was once just brokenness and ashes that God is rebuilding and he's bringing hope and he's bringing a foundation to build upon as we move forward. Like Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope lies in the midst of the brokenness. It's not that I can work harder and do better tomorrow. It's that he who began this work in me, he will complete it. He is faithful and true, and he's been tested and proven himself faithful so my hope in the midst of my brokenness is not just in what's to come, but in the God who is here in the brokenness with me and is continuing to do a work. Psalms 51.17 says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And God is not ashamed of this small beginning, of this small little foundation, not even worth comparing to Solomon's foundation in the temple before. And this isn't an incredible display of God's glory where he comes down in fire like he has before. But God is there in their midst and God is working on their behalf. And there is hope that can be found in that place. Well, the fifth and final response 
that we see them making, that we see God calling us to in the midst of our brokenness, is to submit to God's process of rebuilding. In Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God with them were supporting them. And then we jump into chapter 6, verse 14, and we read, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, of, and Zechariah, the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of God of Israel, and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. You see, there's a little that happens in between here we don't have time to dig into this morning. But they begin this work. They laid the foundation. And then the people begin to frustrate their plans. The people begin to try and slow them down and realize that there is a very real enemy out there that wants to stop the work that God is doing in your life. And maybe you are praising the Lord this morning and you're encouraged and you have hope because God's doing a work. And then it may not be finished, but he's doing a work in my life. And I have hope. The enemy would love nothing more than to stop you there to discourage you, to convince you this work can't be done. It'll never be finished. You need to give up before you continue. Well, the people in this city are doing the same thing, and they get the king to order this edict, and the work stops. It ceases. The foundation was laid, and now they're just living in their brokenness. No longer rebuilding, but this word of the Lord comes, which is so fitting because that's what you need in that season of brokenness. You don't just need somebody to give you a pep talk. You need a word from the Lord to shake you up, to wake you up, and to get you back to the work. And for here, they get this word from the prophets that you need to get back to the work, and you need to finish what you've started, and you need to rebuild this temple. And all the people get together, and they put their hands to work, and they complete that temple. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says, We do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, something worth noting is that if you continue to read in Ezra, you don't see any mention of Zerubbabel at the completion of the temple. And there's a lot of speculation as to why. Some say maybe he returned back to Babylon because the work was being finished. Others say that they, they believe he was actually killed before this ever took place because the fear of the people was once this temple's done, they're going to make him their king and we don't want that and so we killed him. But regardless, we don't read in Scripture that Big Z was there at the completion of the temple. Do you realize sometimes we don't get to see the end result of the work God is doing? In our life or in somebody else's life, sometimes we don't get to see the completion of that work he's doing. And you're a part of the laying the foundation. And you're a part of helping it begin to happen. And you get it in motion and then God calls you to something else and you don't get to see the completion yourself. But we don't lose heart because we continue to fix our eyes on eternal things. Because we continue to turn our gaze towards heaven and towards the Lord. And even though our outward body is being destroyed day by day, our inward man is being renewed. And even though this temple, this body will crumble, we look forward to the temple that will be restored. The new glorious body one day we will have. Because here's the reality, guys. They're putting together a temple, a temple that will last longer than Herod and Solomon's combined, but nonetheless, a temple that will still fall. A temple that is still temporary. A temple that would be rubble one day. And their hope was not that this is the temple that is eternal, but that this is just really a stopgap in history. And in our lives, our bodies are the temple of God. His presence dwells inside of us. But our hope is not in this body that will fail. 
And maybe you're in the midst of a season of brokenness that God will bring you through, and you'll be stronger than you were before it. But once again, our hope is not in our body. It's not in our strength. It's in what is to come. It's that Jesus will return, and one day we'll be with him face to face in a new glorious body that will no longer experience pain. We'll put off this tent, as Paul says, and we'll get to be with the Lord face to face. And we see throughout Scripture that there is actually a beauty that comes from this brokenness, through this brokenness. Like the salvation that we all get to appreciate because of the broken body of Jesus on the cross. Like the eternal life and adoption as children of God that we experience because Jesus on that cross, bearing our sin and shame, had to experience the Father turning his face away. See, in these, these times of, of such deep, dark brokenness and pain and suffering, God was bringing out something that was so beautiful and incredible for our benefit. And we use these as examples to remind ourselves that Jesus is our hope. That Jesus is our living hope. Our hope that does not disappoint. Our hope that never fails. Our hope not after we get through this brokenness, but even in the season of brokenness. One final picture I want to show you this morning as we jump into worship and take communion together. It's of two jars that you'll see here if you guys want to bring up that slide. Right, you've got one in pieces and one that looks pretty awesome. I'd put that in my house. But both were broken. One has now been built and put back together. And we could put a third option next to those, couldn't we? Of one that you carefully just glued back together so that you couldn't even tell it was broken. And yet I bet you would agree with me, the most beautiful one you're going to see is the one that's been put back together with that gold mixed in. You're not disguising the brokenness, you're embracing it and you're showing something beautiful, a part of the story. Yeah, that, that piece of pottery is weak and it could break again. But man, how beautiful to see it restored, put back together, better than it was before. And the difference here is not that one worked harder than the other. It's that one was put in the hands of a potter who knew what he was doing and put that thing back together piece by piece. And this morning, nobody is coming in this building this morning saying, I'm solid as a rock and I can't break. Every one of us here can be broken, has been broken, will continue to be broken. And the only difference is that some of us are standing complete because of the hands of the potter we've placed ourselves in. And some of us may still be feeling like we're in pieces and don't know how to possibly put ourselves back together. Well, as we close this morning, I want to give you an invitation. An invitation to put yourself in the hands of the potter. To place your brokenness at the feet of the cross. To give your life over to Jesus who has the ability to put you back together. Now, what he's offering you is not a better life. It's not just this way to have a good life now. He's offering you a new life. And he's calling you to admit your brokenness and your failure. To recognize your sin and your need for a savior. And to respond by placing your life in his hands. By accepting his finished work on the cross so that you can experience the gold that comes from Golgotha. And the rebuilding that God can do when you place your life in his hands. And we want to make that invitation for you this morning. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I'm going to ask you to do this. As we pray right now, I'm going to ask you to respond. If that's you and you're recognizing I'm, that, I'm those pieces, Lucas, and I want to be whole and complete in Christ, I'm going to ask you to respond. To raise your hand during this last song to acknowledge that's me and I need Jesus to be rebuilt. And I want to pray with you as we close in worship. I want to invite you to step into that place where Jesus can restore you and make you new again. And for the rest of you here who, who have already made that decision, I would invite you during this, this last song before we take of communion together to place whatever brokenness you still might be hiding, you still might be holding on to, you still might try to disguise, lay it at the Lord's feet. 
Confess it before the Lord this morning. Acknowledge it and recognize your need for him to come into that situation, to rebuild what's been broken, to give you hope, maybe where you feel like you have none, and to remind you that just because you're broken doesn't mean he's finished. In fact, it probably means he's just beginning what he wants to do in your life. Let's go ahead and close our eyes and pray. God, I want to pray for any in the building this morning. For any, Lord, this morning who have come here and have... Lord, have, have recognized that they're in a place of brokenness. But God, they've never looked to you before for their strength. God, they never looked to you before for their hope. They've never placed their life in your hands before, but they want to this morning. Your spirit has been stirring them to acknowledge that brokenness and to allow you to rebuild something, something that would invite your presence into their lives to make them a temple of your Holy Spirit. God, if there's anybody in this building right now, I'd invite you just to raise your hand and acknowledge that is me that I want to give my life to the Lord this morning. I want to allow his broke, my brokenness to meet his strength and his hope, his love and his ability to rebuild. And now at this moment, I want to invite anybody else who just needs to, to confess before the Lord in this time by raising their hand and saying, God, I trust you and I believe in you, but I've been trying to hide my brokenness. I've been ashamed and disguising my weakness when I should be allowing you to show yourself strong on my behalf there. I would invite you to raise your hand as well, to just acknowledge, God, that is me. And I'm weak and I've been faking like I'm strong. I've been running away from your stirring. I haven't allowed you to use me in the midst of this brokenness. God, I pray for those people whose hands are raised in acknowledgement that they've got broken pieces, Lord, this morning. But they want to be whole in you. They want you to fill in those gaps, God. They want you to show yourself strong on their weakness. They want you to give them boldness so they don't have to be ashamed of it because their hope was never on their ability. It's always been on you. God, meet them in this time. Lord, comfort them and give them peace. Lord, show them how you're, you're doing a work in the midst of this and you're still using them as your example. That the brokenness has not disqualified them. It has given you a greater opportunity, in fact, to show up and gain greater glory. Lord, we submit all of this in your hands. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.